welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. As you will work out from the selection of films, this is a delayed review show. Good news if you haven't seen them, as you can now catch them all on Video On Demand. These reviews include Doctor Strange and the Multitude of Madness... It was the <laughs> what, what was it it's called? Not, it's multiverse. multiverse. Oh, yes. multiverse. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was the typo. That was not done deliberately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> These reviews include Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Firestarter, and Father Stew. I hear you may have seen at least one of them. <laughs> that was probably only by accident. <laughs> and I have saved the best news for last. No film news, as by popular demand, I will be bringing back the quiz this month. Finally, some sanity on the show. Greetings and salutations, I'm Jeff. I'm Graham. I'm Neil. I'm Phil. You can find my reviews at Phil the Bear blog. Hi, I'm Darren, and you can follow me on Twitter at Desert Loves Movie and read my blogs at halfguarded.com. So listeners, apologies for the late arrival of this show. We were all set to record this quite some time ago when we found out Neil had accidentally been deported to Rwanda. That was no joke. I was playing the best round of golf of my life before they placed that bag over my head. It took weeks to get Neil back. It could have been dealt with quicker, but Jeff petitioned pretty vacant to keep him there. And thank you, listener Frank, for your behind-the-scenes help. Thank goodness the Rwandans deal in commodities you understand. So that was you with the petition, Jeff, you bastard. Who else could it have been, Neil? Oh, good point. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Well, at least you're back for the quiz. Thank God for that. And talking of quiz, we hand over to you now, Darren. It's not too late for film news, if you want it. (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, so if everybody remembers the last time I did a quiz, it was a slight disaster because it was a James Bond quotation quiz. And it turns out that the only person who's actually watched any James Bond movies is Jeff, who absolutely (laughs) ran away with it. This time, we are going to do quotations yet again. However, these are a selection of movies. All of them are pretty well-known and mainstream movies. We've got three rounds. Each of you is going to get one quotation. And there's three points up for grabs. So you get a point for naming the film, for naming the character, and for naming the actor playing them. Okay, round one. Because you won last time, Jeff, you can go first. All your mothers are going to die if you don't start singing. I'm going to kill all your mothers. I honestly haven't got a clue. I'm a complete blank. Uh, Schindler's List. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 hang on. He's going to kill all the mothers. That sounds... That was my logic in why I came up with that title. Okay. Phil, if you can name the film, you get a bonus point. So you can go first. I haven't got a clue either. Okay. I'm thinking crime movie, but I don't know. Um, Reservoir Dogs. Nope. That's what I was going to no, say, Dan. Okay. Uh, Graham? Uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Neil? Usual suspects. No. Okay. You, you've all failed. 
The film was Dirty Harry. <laughs> and the oh, no! <laughs> God. And that is Jeff's absolute master. He should have got that. It is, actually. Yeah. And, and yeah. The, the character was Scorpio. And Andy the Robinson actor was Andrew G. Yeah. Robinson. Andy yeah. Robinson. So, okay. So, um, and, yeah. okay. So, uh, Phil, your go. This is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Buy a hat like this, I bet you get a free bowl of soup. Oh, on you, it got looks it. good. Oh, I feel under pressure. <laughs> Neil said he's got it. Don't, don't be fooled by I Neil's mind one. games. There aren't many. I don't know. The big sleep? Nope. Neil, you want to have a go? Caddyshack. Um... Correct. So, yeah, it's um, Rodney Dangerfield yeah. and the uh, character was Al Shizovic. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, now that you said it's Dangerfield, that intonation, yeah. That yeah, indeed. Okay. And it's a golf movie, so, of course... Neil's a ringer seven or eight times. Perhaps you'd like me to come in there and wash your dick for you, you little shit. Two now. Oh, yeah, I know it. I know this one. Uh, No, I haven't got a clue. Really? (laughs) I've quoted it several times. Uh, Jeff, you can have a go. It's probably Arthur. It's Arthur. Yeah. Oh, it is Arthur. Yes. Uh, It's John Gilgood. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was Sir John Gilgood and the character was Hobson. Neil, Hobson, yes. remember, men, you're fighting for this woman's honour, which is probably more than she ever did. Shit, uh, a Marx Brothers film, isn't it? Night at the Opera, uh, Rufus T. Firefly and Groucho Marx. You got two out of three. You, you, um, you got Rufus T. Oof. Firefly and you got Groucho Marx, but the, um, you didn't get the oh, film. So film. I haven't seen Berlin yet from the ground or from the air and I plan on doing both before the war is over. The third man? No. Okay. Um, Graham, do you want to have a go? Casablanca? No. Neil? Uh, 633 Squadron. No. Jeff? The Great Escape. Correct. Uh, said Ah. Said by Steve McQueen. As Captain Virgil Hilt. Cooler King. Cooler King. Graham, I feel like a Kentucky Fried idiot. No idea. No idea. No idea. Um, Jeff? Green Book? No. Phil? Rocky. No. Do I I get half a point if it's one of them? (laughs) No. It's Neil. Raising Arizona. Phil was close. It was Rocky Two. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well done, Franchise Phil. point. So close to <laughs> <Yeah>. franchise point. <laughs> to be fair, this clearly is my film kryptonite, so I'm, cl- I'm just glad I got close to one. <laughs> this is great fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Jeff. I don't want my brother coming out of that toilet with just his dick in his hands. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, uh, James Kahn. Yeah. Sonny yeah. Corleone. Uh, well done. Come on, you've got the only one I've known. <laughs> yeah. Well played. Okay, so Neil, bitches leave. Bitches leave. Scarface. Nope. 
Phil. Jackie Brown? No. Graham. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Jackie Brown as well. Um, no, no clue. No. Jeff? Uh, freaky. No. Is that actually Robocop? Oh, no. yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah they're um, all doing cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, the, the uh, Jeff's in the lead with five, Neil on three, and Phil and Graham still to score. One last round. Graham, you'll go first. Fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Oh, that's a black and white film. What's it called? Uh, Need to narrow that down a little, Graham. Oh, sure. It's spoken, spoken by a woman. She's um, it's at a party and... Oh, God, what is it? You're giving up? Yes, she's giving up, you mean. Okay, me, me. Phil? I've not a clue. Move on. <laughs> Neil? I'm always lost. Because you're in the lead. Oh, right, okay. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, I think. Um, and it's Lenny Henry. <laughs> and I've got no, he plays a shrunken head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jeff? All about Eve. Eve. Yeah. Damn it. Okay. Phil, you are not the president. No one who rules so many would kneel so quickly. Uh, Mars attacks? No. Graham? No idea. Graham and I are really good at this. Mm. Independence Day? No. Neil? I've just crossed out Independence Day when I wrote it down. Damn it. Um, no idea, I'm afraid. Okay, Jeff? I'm going to kick myself on this one. Um, Star Trek 4. No. Okay. Um, this is uh, Superman 2. And it's said by yes. um, General <laughs> oh, Zod, played by Terence Stamp. That's odd, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Neil. That hurts, Sean. You're not having any fun. Join us. Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some shit up. It's more fun. No idea. Sorry, Darren. Uh, Phil? <laughs> Skip me. No. <laughs> no? Okay. Graham? Move on. No. Uh, Graham? What Phil said. <laughs> uh, Jeff? Fight Club? No, it's uh, Face Off. By Castor oh. Troy, being played by Nicolas Cage. Okay, so Damn we've it. absolutely nothing to play for. Um, Jeff, you've got this one's a okay, difficult one to this one's a difficult one to say without doing it in the oh, voice. No, so honestly, so that's really good. I'll, I'll do my best. Okay, I've treated you boys well, even when you was out of order. Um, it is the Long Good Friday, Bob Hoskins, Harold Shand. Yes. Okay, so that's yeah, that's the end of the <laughs> And once again Jeff has won by a landslide. Uh, Jeff oh! finishes with nine, Neil with uh, three, and Phil and Graham with absolutely nothing. Thank you for that, Darren. Really good. Uh there's no film news or anything like that next month. Uh, or quiz because we're having an extended uh, special summer special but I reckon you guys need a bit of cheering up so I have a couple of jokes for you all oh, <laughs> oh hell ready do you need a clap for the edit <laughs> no, <I'll do> <laughs> yes thank you right what's black and starving to death <laughs> oh god no. no I'm having flashbacks to primary school <laughs> anybody go on R. Kelly's cat. 
It's got to be dead by now. He's got to be been in prison like three years, isn't he? <laughs> Very funny. Sorry. That's terrible. Um, yeah. Now, to be fair, on the same subject, I'm shocked R. Kelly's getting 30 years. I believed he would fry. <laughs> oh. Okay. As Jeff is still seething over losing his film news column, let's make things worse for him by starting the reviews with something from Marvel, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Every night, I dream the same dream. Nightmare begins. I did what I had to do. To protect our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. You opened the doorway between universes. And we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda. What do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. The multiverse, that strange Marvel MacGuffin invented for the last Spider-Man film, is in trouble. Young America Chavez, played by Sochil Gomez. Sochil, a lovely name. It's a Mexican name. means flower, by the way. Great name. Mm, thank uh, you. Has the ability to jump realities. That is, move between alternate versions of Earth. However, this incredible power has also made America a prize for dark forces. A demonic creature has been unleashed to capture the young woman who is now on the run in the multiverse. When America arrives in our world, Dr. Strange, Benedict Cumberpatch, who else, is luckily on hand to help. He turns to Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch, Elizabeth Olsen, for assistance. Strange quickly realises that this request was a huge mistake. Witches, demons, alternate worlds? And Marvel starting to make their universe, God forbid, far too complicated. What do you think, Phil? I think that if you take away all the external MCU factors, which we will probably be talking about at some point, that I thought this was quite an enjoyable fantasy action romp. I will admit to not being completely wowed by Marvel Phase 4 in terms of films. I think the shows have been really good. But this one is close to the likes of Shang-Chi and Spider-Man No Way Home in terms of levels of enjoyment, but possibly not too close. But hey, third best in Phase 4. Yay. <laughs> and that, that sounds really down. It's enjoyable. So, so, um, so Doctor Strange and Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch, as, as uh, I liked uh, Jeff saying, um, they're by far and away, I think, the most interesting characters in the MCU at the moment. And I think Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen, especially Elizabeth Olsen, give fantastic performances in a film that gives them little time for character development because it's basically uh, action from you know beginning to end. The action is superb, though. Sam Raimi is back in uh, the comic book world after his Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, and he definitely pushes the 12A rating as far as it can be pushed. I think if this wasn't a fantasy film, it's definitely getting a 15. 
I have continued my tradition of bringing my son to the cinema on day one for every phase four film. And there were a couple of dicey moments, (laughs) (laughs) mostly because I didn't want to go out and uh, miss anything. So (laughs) I'm a selfish man. Um, (laughs) I think Raimi's a really good pick. He's proved that with the Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire. There's some lovely flourishes here. The musical note fight. And the tumble through the multiple universes were the standouts for me. Whilst we're now quite far from the release date, I will tentatively say I enjoyed meeting the heroes from the other universes whilst trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. On a negative, there are two main problems which come from this being the next MCU film. This is the bit I said that probably should be ignoring, but I won't. Firstly, one that doesn't really impact me because I've seen everything in sort of release order, but the barrier to entry is seemingly getting quite high here. If you want to really get all the nuances, you need to have seen definitely Doctor Strange, definitely WandaVision, definitely Spider-Man No Way Home. Maybe the animated series What If is useful. If you're kind of new to this, I think you can still have fun. Just think that there's going to be lots of things that flying over your head and then there's the fact that at this point i kind of feel like we need to be understanding what's the next big bad in the mcu universe it shouldn't bother me i wish it didn't bother me because we should just be looking at this is a film and is the film good but after so much content hate that word but that's what we talk about now funneling us to end game i feel like we kind of need a bit more direction again um Oddly, both of those negatives are kind of the opposite of each other. On one hand, I'm saying there's a barrier to entry, and on the other, I'm saying I really would like there to be some kind of direction that sort of builds upon all the other things. So, yeah, interesting. Um, I do think it's lots of fun. Just try not to think about where it sits in the whole MCU world. So, Phil, do you think the next big bad guy could be bloated runtimes? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't think there's i don't think there's an issue with the runtimes of these films i think they're they're fine i think if you you could probably talk about bloated runtimes for any blockbuster film these days if a film's not two and a half hours what's the point right that's kind of goes for everything fair point we will discuss that further okay graham right buddy clear i'm giving you this review from earth 616 while jeff will be posting his review from the 1970s after the cheese of the recent venom and morbius it was good to have a proper superhero movie back elizabeth olsen is given a massive upgrade to her role in this movie going full scarlet witch i was stunned at how much of this movie was dependent on watching wandavision just like uh, phil said i don't think the movie would make much sense if you hadn't watched it. I'm so glad that Marvel had the guts to allow Wanda to be a proper villain. I really enjoyed that. An insane journey Olsen's character has been on since Age of Ultron. I (laughs) really enjoyed Raimi's direction. I thought the music note fight sequence between the two strangers was peak Raimi. I mean, good strange plays Beethoven's Fifth Symphony and evil strange returns with Bach's. Yeah, it was just really amazing. Uh, Strange possessing a dead body of his multiverse doppelganger that he had laid to rest in his own universe and in using the souls of the dead as wings was again peak Raimi. Um, The way he had the eyes open and the arm shoot out of the dirt had me rolling. You could tell he really enjoyed 
that final act, you know, a wonderful callback to the final scene of Carrie and Carrie homage continued with the oil from the robots making it look like the Scarlet Witch was drenched in blood. I was surprised actually how much stylistic freedom Raimi was given by Marvel. Uh, those transitions were really very him, the Dutch angles, the practical zombies. Wanda's acting like she was straight out of a Japanese horror movie with that water mirror sequence being very Japanese. So I'm going to get on my soapbox again and say, producers, you need to let directors direct. I thought it was excellent. And a couple of things I really stood out for me was uh, when the Illuminati said, Wanda is not our greatest threat. You are strange. And then five minutes later, Wanda kills Black Bolt, Reed Richards, Captain Carter, Captain Marvel, and Charles Xavier. Excuse me one moment. So, Phil, you're trying to keep it spoiler-free. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell us the whole plot, Greg. Yeah, it, it's a, that's only a little five-minute segment. It's not as affect the whole thing. It, it's on yeah, Disney. And I, I knew that. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. Thank you. Though the voice of sense. Thank you, Darren. Yeah, I knew they were in trouble when they said, "Oh, we can handle your little witch." I thought you're screwed. Yeah, I just thought it was really good. I did enjoy the fact that it was a movie about a woman's relentless struggle to regain her children opening on Mother's Day weekend. I see what you did there, Marvel. That was very clever. And hearing the X-Men 90s cartoon theme when Professor X appeared was just awesome. Excellent. I really enjoyed it and watched it again on Disney+. Plus. Well, there we go. You enjoyed it then, Graham, clearly. Just a bit. Yeah. Okay. Neil? Well, mine's going to be a bit of a downer, I'm afraid. I was bored by the whole thing, I'm afraid. The, the, the film stars... voted runtime. That villain got you, Neil, <laughs> didn't he? The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, a great actor. His portrayal of Doctor Strange is excellent. Elizabeth Elson is excellent. Sam Raimi's directing. Bruce Campbell's in it. Fantastic. The original Doctor Strange, though, had something different about it. This weird, arrogant super surgeon that we somehow get to root for despite of or because of all his faults. This one's just formulaic. It's like some promotion of Disney products. Have you seen WandaVision yet? It's on Disney+. Plus. If I was fully invested in all the other Marvel stuff, as Phil pointed out, and I'm not, maybe this would have made more an impact on me. But uh, And perhaps uh, I would have been a bit more invested in it. But no, I mean, Sam Raimi makes a Disney product. You have to consider the marketing opportunities, Sam. We do get a neck snap, um, as uh, Phil alluded to. We do get Scarlet Witch splattered in blood, dragging her feet along in an alternate reality, decomposed corpse of Doctor Strange. But it doesn't really last. One massive CGI set piece follows another CGI set piece. It's high-energy action romp that doesn't come close to the quality of the original. It's fun. Yeah, okay, but I'm afraid it isn't anything more than that. Not for me. Sorry. Sorry, Graham. Neil, may I I say, Neil, what an excellent review. (laughs) (laughs) Darren, over to you. Can I change my review? <laughs> what because of the influence of, because of Graham, because of the old man? I don't want to. Don't want to be agreeing with Jeff. When I start to talk about Marvel movies now, I, I don't really see the point of me reviewing them because, to me, the, it's not even like I'm going to the uh, the cinema to watch a film these days. It's, it's, it reminds me of when I used to uh, actually collect comics. I used to go down to the newsagents and get the latest instalment because. There's so many of these things now with the TV shows and and the films and everything. I just feel like I'm just going out just to see the latest instalment of the the Marvel story. 
And I'm fine with that because, you know, these films, I've said this before, it's almost like they are made for me. You know, I just absolutely love them. I see the problems, but it's just that I really don't care. I love the fact that it draws on things from like What If and from Wonder Vision. I, I completely recognise that they could have done a better job of at least filling in a little bit of the story of why Wonder had these two kids and what had actually gone down in that town. And I, you know, just maybe like a little two-minute segment where she's maybe looking at newspapers or if American Chavez character, if she asked who Wonder was and Doctor Strange basically had to explain just in a voiceover what had happened. I just think that would have helped, you know, the new audience. But at the same time, I'm not going to lose any sleep on that because, I, you know, I just absolutely love it. When they're talking about incursions, you know, and I remember that from the big storyline they did in Marvel and I know what that means. I'm just getting, like, giddy. I mean, I, I will be honest, I would go with even more in-depth stuff and more easter eggs because in the scene where Doctor Strange and uh, American Chavez are, um, are going through all the different multiverses I wanted them to like stop on those for a couple of seconds each so you could see what was going on and I would have loved them to have been able to see like Luther Ringo's Incredible Hulk and the foreign daredevil that they had in the TV movies there maybe going through the Fox X-Men universe and you know having Sentinels or anything I, I would have gone even more with that Incidentally, I thought um, Elizabeth Olsen was absolutely wonderful in this, as a, you know, both, both as a sympathetic character and a villain. And, and one thing I, I will say is that when Marvel get around to doing the X Men movies, don't bother doing the Dark Phoenix storyline because Elizabeth Olsen, she was the Dark Phoenix here. I love the fact that there were three massive battles in the first thirty minutes. The one thing I will say that I was taken aback by and didn't like is that when they killed off the Illuminati, it was almost like comedy deaths. I mean, two of them, they had head exploding. And, and basically, anytime you have a head exploding, unless it's in scanners, it's really hard for it to be taken seriously. Captain Carter got cut in half by the shield. It just felt like there was a little bit of comedy in there. And I guess it's fine because you're not going to see those characters again from that dimension but even so i just felt it just it just felt a little flippant people keep saying that although dr strange his development seemed to take second place there was a subtle thing in there because characters kept asking him if he was happy so he did have his his own little story arc and constantly being asked if things could have turned out differently you know he was asked if things could have been different in the battle with Thanos if it had to go down that way and rather sneakily as well you actually see um, that the Illuminati were able to take out Thanos I'm guessing because they didn't have Star-Lord with them mucking the whole thing up these movies they were made for me before I go in and talk about mine, I just want to pick up something that you said there, which I thought was interesting. You said about you'd go see the latest instalment, and obviously we've got all the streaming behind that now. So you can pick these bits up if you want to get them. And the thing that flashed through my mind as you were saying that, back in the 80s when you were a lad there, Darren, hmm. would you rush to see the next Rocky film? Um, would you have seen, like, rent the videos of them before going in to see it to catch up on it again? Would you treat those as instalments, I guess, is my point? No. 
and and I, and I think okay. I think I that think that theory at the water. The difference is with the Rocky movies, and the same for Star Wars back in the day, even though this has changed, is you had at least two years in between each one, so you still have that distance yeah. that you, you know. Whereas this year alone, we've had three Marvel TV series. I think you got Miss Marvel. Now you got Moon Knight. You had Hawkeye, which. At the end of last year, but it was you know it's close enough. Spider Man, which is half a Marvel movie, you've got four next week. It's because they've come so quick and fast to you that you don't really feel like that you're actually sort of you know wait. You know, it's not like you've got like a six month wait for the next thing now. It's just it's like a constant thing that you're living with, which for me is fine. I understand though that some people might feel a bit overboard with it. No, fair enough. And speaking of overboard, I'll do my review then. <laughs> uh, and it, it's frightening to say that pretty much Neil has summed up a lot of what I've got to say on this film. Uh, I, mean, I love Sam Raimi, love watching his films. And essentially he's made, and you've all alluded to it, a $200 million advert for Disney Plus that's gone full commercial and not in a good way. Previously, when you watch these films, and Phil, you picked up on a lot of this, you need to watch some of the other Marvel movies as well you obviously this is a sequel to dr strange so you need to know that you need to know the spider-man films but now in this overinflated series i'm not going to say universe you just did you have to have an understanding of the motivations of wanda who is by the way and you've all said it again well played by elizabeth olsen but you have to have seen wandavision or it makes no sense none of it makes sense really so the advertising of this movie promised then a journey through the multiverses. You know, all the adverts were there. It's going to be great. The reality is we got a quick couple of minutes, some of it animated. Oh, I was totally unimpressed. Total and utter waste of time. By comparison, there was more wonder in Doctor Strange's involvement in the excellent Spider-Man film No Way Home than in this movie. There, the surprises in that film were organic. Here they seem tagged on for fandom. You talk about this Illuminati bollocks. They've all been decided by committee. Yeah, Reed Richards. Apparently it's that chap from bloody A Quiet Place, yeah. So he's dead in that, so we'll bring him back into a new franchise now. And <laughs> you know you know why they picked him, right? No idea. Because there was a huge, huge internet movement to have him and his wife, Emily Blunt, play Reed Richards and Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four movies. Okay. And they still want that to happen. And Kevin Feige said that it was such a big thing. He thought it would be a good kind of fan thing if he could get one of them in to do that. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking up because it's going straight over my head. Uh, <laughs> and it is interesting that when they go to these different universes, all these characters are played by different actors. But Doctor Strange is always played by Benedict Cumberbatch. No, uh, and not. you're saying that all the other characters are played by different actors. Like who? For a start, this one with the Illuminati is a bit racist because Reed Richards, a Welsh chap. Uh, um, dear, dear. It's in. And, you have- Whatever actor they want, right? Including the same one. Where was Captain America? It's played by a woman now. Yeah, no, it's yeah, but she's still no, okay. Hold on a minute. She's still playing the same character that she did in the regular Marvel. She's still playing Sharon Carter. It's just that she got the super serum that made her into. Yes. She's still still Sharon Carter. They've not changed the actress. The uh, you know they've got a different character playing Captain Marvel. But it's still the same actress playing that character. It's just that she became Captain Marvel instead of 
the uh, 616 Captain Marvel. Is this more stuff that went over your head? Yeah, it went over my head as well, yeah. A lot of it seems to, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, it does, it does. What I will anchor myself with is is Sam Raimi. I I love his style, his verve. And he has been missing film cinema for too long. I mean, he hasn't directed since, what, that Oz the Great and Powerful movie, which I think is quite underrated. And this film is over long. It's got that villain, bloated running time. But he makes it visually fun. And I love the references to Evil Dead, although I, I, I imagine that's um, what your lad didn't like uh, there, Phil. The well, old Evil Dead characters, the Deadites. Yeah, I mean, he didn't enjoy that, but he also hasn't seen WandaVision, and he got the film, so... Okay. So. It's like Star Trek, really, and Star Trek, they're all elitist nonsense now. They, the, the, ordinary, <laughs> the ordinary person is forgotten about while well, they just cater for the fans and it I'm caters sadly for, I'm not one of them he caters for people who like those movies oh my god how awful if it just caters for the fans then there's an awful lot of fans isn't there because they make absolutely tons of money yeah look Faggy should stop making them because there's no point to them anymore is there really Apart from all that cash. Yeah. They show, this is the only thing they've shown around the world. If you're fighting in Ukraine and your cinema is only showing Marvel movies, of course you're going to watch it. Don't you know there's a war on Jeff? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, <sighs> see it for Sam Raimi. That's my final words. Neil. Old man shouts at clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, that, that was a Simpsons reference. Yes, it did. Well, that polarised opinion, didn't it? If you haven't seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as yet, you can check it out on Disney Plus streaming platform. Please let us know what you think, from one fan favourite to another as we talk about Father Stew, the latest film to feature the Mel. I figured it out. Seventh time's a charm. I'm the you don't belong with those L.A. folks. They're a bunch of fascist hippies. Who do you think you're going to be, the next John Wayne? Get yourself a marvelous mop. What can I get for you, miss? I got beef. Let's not waste either of our time. I'm a Catholic. I can't date someone who isn't baptized. Where's the water? I'll do it now. You're getting into the fine print on this way of living, pal. Well, you got a long road ahead. God is all about defying the odds. It's up to you to decide what you've got to offer. It's the place you told me you believe in me. Your son is about to make a huge mistake. I'm going to be a priest. For Halloween. Hear the trumpet, cheer the piper. Man don't lose when he gets knocked down. But when he won't get up. The true story of Father Stuart Long, as played by Mark Wahlberg. To say he came from a dysfunctional family is something of an understatement. A tragedy in his youth caused the family to splinter, hating the world and each other. Stu grew up to be a boxer, and then when that stopped working out for him, he set off to Hollywood with dreams of being an actor. While waiting for his big break, he met Carmen, Teresa Ruiz, a devout Catholic and Sunday school teacher. That meeting was to change Stu's life forever. Graham, this is a bit different from the Mel's latest all-action outings. Given your intimate knowledge of the great man's career and his Catholicism, did it renew your faith in both? Bless me, cinema, for I have sinned. It has been four weeks since my last Mel Gibson film. I confess that I had murderous thoughts about the director-writer Rosalind Ross. I've been guilty of the sin of wrath in wanting to hit everyone connected to this movie. But mostly, 
a Jeff who picked this bloody awful turkey for us all to enjoy. What an unmitigated mess of a movie. How bad can a movie be when Mel Gibson is the best thing in it? This was Vatican propaganda masquerading as a boring piece of twaddle. The pacing of this movie was all over the place. Uh, we spent what seemed like hours on Stu's early life before we get him being lured into a church group by his lust for a young woman in the group. Then suddenly, in about 15 minutes, he's at the seminary where he gets sick, gets ordained, starts dispensing snake oil to the faithful, the end. I'm sorry that this review is so short, but this film was just terrible. Mel Gibson gets one star for effort, but the rest of the cast should be banished to the fiery pits of hell for the rest of eternity. I hated it amen yeah i just wanted to check something now you're saying that you like that film less than dr strange <laughs> oh my lord <laughs> i think there are very few films that he can think of that were less than this one well there is one in this week as well yeah but uh yeah no this was just propaganda for no, the okay church. well let's get a more balanced opinion darren this is when I really resented having to spend my afternoon going to see because let's let's <laughs> let, let, let's face it. The only reason why this film was picked was so that um, you know Jeff could make fun of um, Graham with this Mel Gibson thing. I mean, <laughs> you, 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 anyway, okay. So as far as um, religious propaganda goes. I was kind of a little disappointed that it wasn't as um, heavy and on the nose as it is. Because the one thing about films like that is that they're so much fun to, to have a laugh at. This one it seemed to be a slightly more subtle than um, those sort of films. I've got to say, though, that this was a weird film. The narrative was weird. Like you said, the pacing was all over the place. The thing that really got me is it felt like it was interesting at the start where you've got this sort of like this uh, never-do-well joins a religious class just because he wants to get into um, you know, one of the congregation's pants. And then there was no real indication of what he saw within this group that made him actually turn to God. It was just that he had this like near-death experience and then all of a sudden he became religious. And I think there was like something like interesting there that I thought he was going to see something about this community that he was missing in life. And would sort of like you know embrace, and he didn't. It, it was all, it was almost death, as if the accident gave him a concussion or something that made him a believer. That, that's what I started to get out of this, you know. And his odd behaviour, how he suddenly like didn't want to have sex with this woman anymore. The whole motivation for being in there just was completely bizarre and and, and out of out of place it, it just seems odd and then the whole backstory with the, the death of his brother that sort of kept popping up but that didn't seem to go anywhere it didn't tie into what he was going through as, as he was trying to you know become a priest there were a couple of moments where i thought it hit on something interesting because there, there was a bit where he's doing the sermon and the bit as well where he visits the prison and the guy who he goes with doesn't know what to say and he because he could relate to them a bit more. He opened up to them. He understood them. And I thought there's something interesting there. But even then, he didn't really come up with, you know, a reason for them to turn themselves around. He, you know, he, he couldn't use what he was learning in any sort of coherent sense. I just thought it was interesting that because he had a different upbringing, a different background, that he saw things differently and could relate. But even then, that didn't go anywhere. 
I, I didn't hate this as a movie. It was just felt really weirdly written. And and just and just felt you know there's just a story that was all over the place. So I, I couldn't, you know it was okay, but I didn't particularly get a lot out of it. Okay. And I'm gonna head off Phil here as well before he gets to his review, although mine's next. But I just want to pick up again, Darren, you were saying there that yes, I picked this because of Graham, because Graham's a fan. And <laughs> it's not <laughs> But had I not picked this film for review, and I the question goes to Phil as well. Would you both still have seen this? Because it's on in your local cinema. Mm, and you one. guys watch so, most films. So you know that I will go and see every single film that comes out at my local cinema regardless. The fact that I hated it with a passion is aside from the point that I would have gone to see it anyway just because I go and see every film. That was that was a review spoiler alert. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Darren. I think they go guess that one. Yeah. This, this Would you was, have still gone to have seen it? This is one that when I looked at what the story was about, it's one that I would only have seen if I was killing time before another film started. If it was a film I wanted to see at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and this was on at 11, I would probably have gone to see it just to get a film in just for something, you know, before that. I wouldn't have gone specifically to the cinema to watch this on its own. Fair enough. So we've had two negative reviews. We already know Phil's going to trash it. Yeah, I noticed you put me last. <laughs> yeah. So obviously I'm going to give a very different review to all the other, <laughs> either way this is going. And I, and I want to give a modern-day reference for Father Stew's genre. And you'd logically start with films like The Shack, these awful modern-day religious take films where they go, like The Shack, they go to this place where God talks to them. Now, this film had a much more old-fashioned feel to it. Movies like, you know, Bing Crosby's Going My Way or Boys Town with Mickey Rooney. You know, back in the day when Catholicism, if it did abuse the kids, nobody ever spoke about it. <laughs> what do you mean, if it did? It's a proven fact. Yes. Allegedly back in the 30s. <laughs> uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s. Anyway, 20s. it has an old, a straightforward, old-fashioned narrative technique and direction. And it drew me into the story. Now, as Phil knows, I'm easily bored. And I wasn't bored. I, this is heartfelt. And I think because it's a passion project for so many of the people involved. I mean, Wahlberg invested a lot of his own money in the film for, his, for a starter. And as a result, it felt real, with strong performance making this a really engrossing watch. And let's start with Mark Wahlberg, talk about his performance. He starts as a fairly unpleasant character, far worse than the real-life Stuart, who I've been reading up on, fascinating chap. But the plot developments, two major ones, eventually get you on his side. And one, you know, we already spoke about the uh, road accident where he sees the traffic cop as the Virgin Mary, which is the first of the influence to him to go over to the religious side. So, well, that's good. But underpinning... it's not Star Wars going over to the good side or the dark side. So he's suffering from PTSD and has a mental illness, mm. right? Okay, and that's why he goes, okay. Fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back and talk about Doctor Strange when we talk about fantasy <laughs> reality, eh? Um, the real power underpinning all of this is Mel Gibson, and I think it's a major return to form. Obviously, it helps that him and Wahlberg are good friends, both strong believers in the Catholic religion. And Gibson's current partner is the writer-director of the film. 
Oh, God. Sticking with the Mel. You, and Graham, you said yourself, you know, he's the best thing in the film. The only thing in it. The film is no, a, the an absolute thing. mess. And he's the only I, tiny little bright spot. No, it's, in not, it. it's not an absolute mess, Graham. It's an absorbing drama. He, he acts on two levels. His physical acting with his rejection of the world through his words and deeds. And then the pain of life, you know, and all the things that have gone up. Uh, particularly the death of his other boy. And it's very clear in his eyes. It's a masterful performance. I mean, Oscar nominated, I would say. I never Ready. know when you're being honest, Jeff. No, I am being honest. <laughs> and, and Darren's picked up on this. Credit due to Malcolm McDowell, who gives his best performance in years. And yes, I would have liked to have seen more about that character. Expand the runtime out on this. Mm. So we can have that. Oh, no, please don't. <laughs> but I don't see this as a film about religion because you're brought all your prejudices to it. And I, luckily, I'm open minded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I see this as a film about grief of a family that never resolved the long outstanding issues and ultimately how they come together. In that sense, it's a very powerful movie about redemption. And dare I say it, and I'm going to be mocked, I'll be crucified for this, one of the most adult films of the year so far. Oh, no, it's not. Neil. And you know well, what? I feel more sympathy for R. Kelly's cat than for any character in this. <laughs> right. Neil. Okay. Well, I'm with Jeff here. A powerful movie. Who am I kidding? This Mark Mark Wahlberg's unconvincing. The Mel plays the Mel. Uh, to be fair, Malcolm McDowell, yes, and Jackie Weaver as the mother was long, um, the long suffering mother were were really good. But the rest of it, it starts okay. Mark Wahlberg plays Mark Wahlberg, and as as seen before, he's very good at it. And then just descends into a Catholic pro propaganda film, and the redemption story is so heavy handedly told. It's almost unwatchable. I did see a review, however, that likened the story to Mark Wahlberg's Ted, a supernatural creature who tests him for a profane stuffed animal substitute God. But, I mean, it was a fun read. But seriously, I really hated this film. Mark Wahlberg's pet project, the film presumably works on an interesting and spiritual level with some people, not me, sadly. The true story is more interesting than the movie. Uh, my advice, read up on the real-life story of Stuart Long. Ignore the film. Harsh and unfair. And now, last and <laughs> final kick in as they down, Phil. Right, I'm not going to dress this up any more than it deserves, but this is just Christian propaganda, and without the big names, it would just be buried on some streaming service somewhere. It's a cliche-ridden indoctrination exercise for the Christian faith. I found the whole thing interminable, and I would highly recommend you <gasps> do not watch it. <sighs> The opening half of the film is just about bearable with Wahlberg in his comfort zone. He's played a boxer before, he's got the physique, and he's believable as a drunken rogue who gets into trouble. The point at which it takes a turn for the unwatchable, and Graham's mentioned this like spin into Catholicism, is the bit when he stalks, yes. I'll repeat that again, stalks a customer that he meets at the supermarket job that he works at because he fancies her. And when he meets Carmen uh, at the church that she um, is doing some fundraiser for or whatever, she says that she won't have sex with him because he's Catholic. Cue his interest in Catholicism. <laughs> um, and then you get these really heavy-handed random meeting with a Jesus-like character in a bar. 
He's in a serious accident that results in him seeing the Mary Mother of Jesus. And then later on, he gets diagnosed with incurable disease. Spoiler alert. I mean, oh. <laughs> Nobody's going to uh, watch this. Nobody's Jeff. watching this one. <laughs> the most absurd thing is the choices that they've made seem to be asking us to reframe the actor's indiscretions in the past. So the film is heavily focused on the Christian act of forgiveness. Gibson's essentially playing himself. And at one point, he makes a joke about Hitler being asked to join the Anti-Defamation League. And Wahlberg has a character who has an affinity with ethnic minorities. It's laughable how close that is to just saying, oh, they're sorry, everyone, because they believe in God. It's laid on just as thickly as the religious zeal throughout. And ultimately, as you can tell, it just results in me getting my heckles up. It is horrible. Well, I feel like I'm alone. I'm on the road to Calgary. Um, <laughs> I am just stunned, really, by that. Yeah, luckily, for fans of Mel, and uh, don't worry, Ryan. Darren, you're not in that one, we have a Mel Day podcast coming up. God. From the religious world of Father Stew, let's turn to the darker world of Stephen King with the latest screen version of Firestarter. Daddy. What's going on, sweetie? Something feels weird. Something's changing. You remember the tools we tied, right? Pencil, desk, paper, shoes, your wheel. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. If you ever start to lose control, what do you do? It didn't work. She's not a robot, Annie. She's a little girl. With little girl emotions, which are wildly unpredictable. Charlie? She just has to shove it down and keep it hidden. Our responsibility is getting her ready. Our responsibility? is to protect her. Charlie? If they catch her, they're gonna put her in a cage. Charlie? They're gonna run tests on her for the rest of her life. We'll never see her again. If who catches me? Charlie McGee, played by Ryan Kira Armstrong, is a young girl with a gift, or is it a curse? She can cause fires just by thinking about them. This ability is the result of experiments the government performed on her parents when they were students. Realising the danger they were in, they went into hiding. The government agency, known as The Shop, have been trying for years to find Charlie so they can use her as a weapon. As Charlie gets older, her powers increase, meaning there is more chance of The Shop finding them. It is a race against time to get the young girl to a place of safety before she can be captured. Jeff, you weren't that impressed with the 1984 film Firestarter. How does this one compare? Well, for once, I think we're all going to be on the same page. Badly, and even to that low bar, Blue Mouse Productions have managed to turn Stephen King's page-turning science fiction thriller into a boring family drama, and along the way, removing all tension and thrills. How the hell did they manage to achieve this? The answer is cheap budgeting and changes fundamental aspects of the story and one particular area is really troubling and i'll come back to that but let's look at cheap first now this is a 12 million dollar production the 1984 version was 15 million and despite the crude effects looks so much better and for the record the unmade john carpenter version which the 1984 version replaced was budgeted at 28 million if the thing had made money that's the one we would have had anyway 
To save money, many of the key dramatic moments of the novel have been removed and replaced with silliness. For example, the farm confrontation, which is, I think, the best bit of the book, it's a major set piece. It's reduced to a couple of people and a dodgy sniper. In the novel, Charlie's captured at this point by a small CIA army. Here she escapes and pedals, and yes, I said that right, she pedals across country, easily finding the top secret location of the shop. That's the CIA name for it and not Tesco's, although you can be forgiven for having that mistake. The scriptwriters have created a jaw-dropping moment of stupidity here, and that's just one of many. Earlier, they also managed to wedge in a bizarre Carrie-style subplot that is totally pointless and which misses King's satirical barb with the novel Firestarter. That novel, which was published in 1980, can be viewed as a look back on the decade of drugs and Watergate that was the 70s. Now, there are some aspects of the film I did like. I thought the credits were really good. The 80s throwback in that style and the trials of Lot 6, which they go through quite quickly. John Carpenter's eerie score, although it's not a patch on Tangerine Dream score, the 84 version. And Ryan Keira Armstrong, I thought, was as good as Drew Barrymore in the original. But I'll now come back to what I said at the beginning. There's one really troubling point, and that is the treatment of the Rainbird character. In the book and in the film version, he, and it's often hinted at, is a psychopathic paedophile. Yet here, and this is a spoiler alert, but really listen to this because you don't want to watch this film. Here, he walks off with Charlie at the end. I mean, really? In is his this... arms. In his arms, Jeff. Yeah. That's yeah. unbelievable. This is just woke nonsense. And I think it's done <laughs> as an apology for George C. Scott playing the Indian in the 84 version. It's a disgusting moment in a disgusting film version. This film is simply awful. Darren. There's a line in this film. The little girl's birth is being described and the uh, character says to her, um, my eyes were feeling really heavy and I couldn't keep open. Uh, I was falling asleep. And I felt, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, mate. Because this film was absolutely <laughs> sending me to sleep. For a, a 90 minute film, it was it was just so boring. Look, I I can cope with most problems with films. I don't need films to be 100% logical. I'm not a nitpicker. Um, I can cope with um, a story that's all over the place. But I, I can even cope with a film not respecting the source material. The, the one thing that I cannot stand is when a film is absolutely boring. And and that is what this is, and you know, and it's a story that has so much potential about sort of like you know a a, a government agency that's got eyes everywhere trying to exploit people, a family being on the run, and a little girl being hunted for her gifts and things like that. And I was actually, I I, I hate to use the, the word woke, but I was actually hoping that they would remake this with some sort of like you know wokeish agenda and make it a commentary on the feminism or girls being exploited, something like that. Just something to make this film, you know, be <laughs> like you know remade, you know, give something worthwhile. And there was there was nothing in it. It wasn't about anything. It, it, you know, it was just so dull and dreary. You didn't have the time to get into the family's plight, but there wasn't enough sort of... You didn't get to know them before their whole family was you know, torn apart. You, you, you didn't get to see their way of life and the troubles that they were going through. 
If you had that little sort of scene where the little girls obviously got problems with, with a bully, and you thought, well, this is this could build to something. This could, you know, uh, this could, you know, with her sort of finally losing track of her, you know, powers and losing, giving into her anger to get at this bully. But even that was just sort of like, you know, blandly done. It, it was just sort of dull. And I hate to have a go at a, a child actress um, because if it, this isn't really her fault. It was way the character was dressed and written but if they'd change this little girl from scene to scene I, I don't think I would have noticed because she left that little uh, impression on me and when you consider that you had Drew Barrymore in the original and, and granted I've not seen the original but this you know she had absolutely no presence about her whatsoever because of of the character and because of how dull the, the film was it, nobody really seemed to be trying really hard in, in this you know the special effects are, are dire but you can i can look past that if you know if the story is good it, it was just so you know again i'll go back to it it was just boring just you know just completely dull and, and low budget I, I don't say this very often because uh any film will have people that enjoy it and get something out of it. This was one film when, after I'd seen it, I thought, what was the point of making this? There was just nothing there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I mean, I do not apologise for making you all watch Father Stu because I think it's great and I think you'll all come to love it when you think about it. <laughs> but I do apologise for making you watch this because, really, I, I just can't believe anybody's going to come up with anything good, although Neil probably will now just to be different to me. Oh, no, he didn't uh, see oh, it. Oh, no, so. he didn't see it because it wasn't know, in the cinema that. long enough. You uh, lucky, lucky bastard. Lucky bastard. <laughs> and Graham. I, I couldn't find it on video demand. Yeah, you're lucky again. Graham. Well, we're halfway through the year and we can already announce the winner of the worst movie of the year. What a clunker. Uh, I read the book when it first came out back in 1980 and I thought it was it was good. Not one of King's finest, oh, but come a good on. yarn. It was a good no, yarn. No, no, it. no, no. It's a well, great book. Christine, comparing it with Christine and okay. the stand and those sorts of books he was knocking out. Yeah, this was good. It was good, but you know, it didn't have all that sort of subplot that, that he usually layers on. And anyway, it doesn't matter how how good or how, how bad the, the book was. The film, this film, was terrible. The film had the opportunity to take King's novel and enhance it with new twists and plot points and build layers over the original story. But they, they didn't do any of that. They just produced a terrible film lacking in any sort of coherent story boring characters as Darren's already said it was so boring played by actors who weren't even phoning it in they were mumbling incoherently into the wind what's wrong with this director that he could not get a coherent performance out of the actors they keep switching between really hyper and really repressed it was just bizarre I really have no idea what they were going for but whatever it was they missed by a mile Please, please, dear listeners, do not be tempted to watch this film. It was terrible. This is the first film in a long time that has absolutely no redeeming features and scored zero stars on my rating. Well, all I'd say to you, Graham, is don't watch Cosmic Sin, one of Bruce Willis's last films. Bloody hell. It makes, actually makes this have some good <laughs> qualities. That's how bad that is. <laughs> Right, I'm warned off that one as well. Yeah, but I mean, he's not well, is he? Probably was since those revelations, I think uh, any yeah. film that comes out, we have to have to yeah. probably avoid. Phil, 
what I love about this month's review show is that the last couple of reviews have ended with a plea from Graham and I to say, please don't watch this film. <laughs> yeah, but only in one of them were you right. Public service, um, that's what we are. So you've already mentioned that it's based on a novel and there was a previous film. And unfortunately, I have not read or watched either of those. And there were plenty of times during this adaptation that I really wished I had because... I really had very little idea of what was going on. It, this <laughs> film feels barely finished with very little sense of a comprehensible plot. And I kind of felt that perhaps if I'd seen or read, you know, seen the other film, read the book, that perhaps I could have filled in some of the blanks and enjoyed it more. As it was, no, I couldn't, unfortunately. You've talked about the pacing as well. So what I found really odd is Charlie and Andy, they spend like this really short period of time on the run whilst we get a few flashbacks to try and explain the source of her powers before very quickly ending up in a final showdown. And none of it was kind of dramatic. You didn't get any sense of that they were doing anything or that there was any building to anything. The special effects were poor. I know Jeff's mentioned the low budget, but I feel like the effects were poor even for the budget that they had. The actors seemed really hamstrung by this bare-bones script they get really little room for world or character building. I actually felt sorry for Gloria Rubin, who plays the big baddie for the, the shop. She kind of tries to deliver this kind of pantomime villain with some real great gusto, but frankly, she just ends up looking really silly. And I feel sorry for her because I kind of feel like she she really went for it. She kind of, you know, she's going to really go with the material. and She just looks silly as a result. And I feel you know, that's unfair. The best thing about it, and you'd be really happy to discover, I think it's been alluded to, is it's only on for 94 minutes. But, <laughs> to Jeff's point, if you were going to force me, you know, like if I was in Guantanamo and you were like, you're going to go watch either Father Stew or you're going to watch uh, this, I'd watch this again, frankly. And it's awful. <laughs> Bloody hell, how long have you been watching films, Phil, and you still can't differentiate between good and turkey? Um... <laughs> Just a, a sad note on this. I think the original film was one of the first films produced by Rafaela De Laurentiis, Dino De Laurentiis' daughter. And this was the last film she produced, or had a, uh, definitely had a credit on producing before she passed away. Yeah, what a sad way to go out. So it is shocking. And if we had an award for the worst film of the month, I'm certain this would win it hands down. Although, listening to Phil, I'm not 100% certain now. I might get outvoted, but it's not the yeah. worst film of the month. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. It's on video on demand if you're really desperate for something to watch. And let's hope our final film is an improvement as we talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent, something I've been known to suffer with. I'm Nick Friggin! Okay! I'm done. I'm quitting acting. I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry. One more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Javi. Mr. K. Excuse me. Is Javi going to want me to, uh, you know? I'm not sure I understand. Look, it's Javi. I am Javi. Nick Cage. <laughs> I'm in position. I think that's the actor, Nick Cage. Nick Cage? I love you. Have you seen Croods 2? I'm 44 years old. Why would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. 
What do you guys want? We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government. I'm Nick Frigate! Nicolas Cage stars as Nicolas Cage, or rather a sort of fictionalised version of himself. This Nick Cage is having a career slump. His film choices are not good. He owes a lot of money. His daughter and ex-wife don't like him. Faced with these trials, Nick decides to retire from acting and take a £1 million job to appear at a billionaire's birthday party in Mallorca. The playboy, Javier Gutierrez, played by... Pedro Pascal is very pleased to meet his hero, but is all as it seems? And just why are the CIA watching them? Darren, this quirky and offbeat film sounds tailor-made for the Darren's Dash. What did you think of it? Long-term viewers might remember that at the start of the year when we talked about our most anticipated movies, this was mine not just this year, but also last year because it actually got um, delayed uh, due to COVID. So I've been waiting for this for a long time. Now, I've got to say, I did come out with a mild disappointment because when I first heard about this film and what it was going to be, I was expecting this to be some sort of like really weird movie with lots of meta gags, a lot cheaper than it actually was. I thought this was going to be really overly self-indulgent and I thought it was going to be hilarious and just absolutely wild. Frankly, I think it was became a lot more of a traditional comedy than I was expecting. It didn't take a great deal of risks for me. It was pretty sort of, you know, standard, you know, storyline. But when I say mild disappointment, I say mild because I actually think that what we got was really, really good. I think it did it really well. And it all worked. You know, it's stuff that we've seen before, this sort of idea of an, an actor suddenly start finds that he has to actually um, play the role that he's done before. You know, we, we, we've seen this sort of thing before. The action coming from the fact that they, um, they're using him to infiltrate what could be this massive drugs ring. But it was really, really well done. Nicolas Cage in this film playing himself, it was somebody you could really get behind. Um, because as much of a, a buffoon for his sort of his, his character, you know, risk being, there was still something that you really rooted for. I was thinking that if you actually had Will Ferrell in this role, and this is the sort of film that you could make with uh, with Will, Will Ferrell, it would have been annoying, sort of be, be cringy. But with this one, because Nicolas Cage, you know, because he was playing himself and because he's somebody that, you, you know, comes across somebody you want to root for, it worked even when it sort of bordered on to slapstick, when he's sort of like, you're trying to do his amateur slow thing, you know, there was just something in there that worked. And even the, when it got to the action sequences, and normally in these sort of films where it gets to the action, that's where it sort of lets down. The car chases and everything were, were, were good. You know, I, I, sort of, I think it worked on so many levels. One of the things as well that I absolutely thought worked absolutely brilliantly is the relationship that he had with Pedro Pascal. I thought the chemistry that they had was absolutely off the charts. You know, they played off each other so well. You know, you really start to believe his bond that they developed, especially when they were sort of like, you know, sat watching movies together. And Nicolas Cage got all emotional over the Paddington movies. 
I just thought that these were really, you know, great little moments. You know, the backup cast, um, you know, Tiffany Haddish and Sharon Hogan, they, they were really good. The one thing that really annoyed me about this, and this happens so much in comedies, is that the two funniest moments in this film were spoiled in the trailers. One of them yeah. was the bit oh, right. he's looking around the exhibition and he sees that um, statue of himself from Face Off and he thinks it's protest, but he wants to buy it. I thought that was funny, but again, that was in the trailer. And also the bit with the wall where they're escaping and he sort of, you know, he can't pull Pedro Pascal so they both start crying, well, I'll never forget you, I'll never forget you. And then, sort of, and then they came apart and he realises that there's an end to the wall, so he just walks around it. Again, that's a really funny moment, but it was spoiled because it was in the trailer. And I know they've got to sort of, you know, sell you on the movie with these gags, but it does sort of spoil that mo- that moment for you in, in the thing. So, you know, apart from that, but generally speaking, I am, um, you know, I, I I really liked it. it. It was a fairly sort of, you know, standard storyline that worked really, really well and had so much um, heart to it. It was fun and it had a bit of depth to it and also quite a bit of poignancy. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Darren. Phil? It is all right. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, because it's not Marvel, is it? Uh, well, it was frankly, this month's been rubbish. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I, like Darren, will admit to going into this film with huge expectations. And I think I might have gone in with slightly too large expectations. I'm a big fan of Nick Cage. I think the idea sounded perfect. You know, the bromance between Nick Cage and Javi as they bond over their shared love of film is good. The CIA agents, played by Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz, contrary to what Darren said, I thought were kind of pointless and not really worth their sort of part in the film. But they're there to kind of make it force him to spend more time with Javi because they want him to, them to help them with the CIA case. The bit that I didn't like and the bit I, I almost don't know if they're trying to be too clever, but this idea that there's this meta attempt at them writing a script about two guys who become friends, which is obviously what is happening. And then them saying, oh, but our script's a little too talky and we need a hook. So we need to have some like tagged in action thing, which they then do. Like they kind of talk about it as like a hacky, silly, crappy sort of thing. And that's what it is. And And I couldn't work out if that was just, you know, art imitating life, imitating art, trying to be too clever. I don't know, but I just thought it wasn't very good at all. So let's be clear, all the Nick Cage stuff is brilliant. Everything that Darren said about the Nick Cage stuff, completely agree with it. It's great. I really loved it when he was talking to younger Nicky, which was his de-aged, crazy, wild at heart, Red Rock West era, Nick Cage, who was nuts. And there's loads of references to his back catalogue and direct references to his vast quantity of films that he's made in his attempts to pay off all of his debt and all that sort of stuff. But the other parts of the story that it's wrapped up in are just not very, well, weren't very interesting to me. And they just pale in comparison to Nick Cage's performance. I also, like, I don't know, I'm thinking this too much, right? But I just, is this like an artistic microcosm of the recent films where Cage is giving a really interesting performance in just whatever vehicle he was making to, like, you know, pay off his debts or just 
can it not live up to Nick Cage himself? But yeah, I mean, outside of Nick Cage, Pedro Pascal was really good. And Sharon Horgan, who pay, plays Cage's ex-wife, I thought she was brilliant. I thought both Pedro Pascal and Sharon Horgan were great foils for Nick Cage, Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz less so. I would recommend it to anyone with a passing interest and enjoyment of Nicolas Cage movies. But if you don't know about his back catalogue and his you know recent personal woes and things like that, I wouldn't really recommend it. Well, harsh words again. Again, proof it's not Marvel. Okay, Neil. I wish I'd seen this in the cinema. Um, mm. I must admit, I, I watched it on video on demand and I'm not very good at sitting down and watching these things in my house and I sort of pause it and go and do something else or I'll look at my phone or something. So I kind of got to the point where I was sort of, well, it's okay. And then I laughed out loud and more of the okay. And then I laughed out loud again. One point of, of um, Phil's, when when he said that it was too, they were talking about the issue with the script that it was too talky and required them to have a give her a hook. I thought it was just a comment on modern cinema. I mean, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is probably a com as a, a case in point for me. Thinking more more about it, and I really need to see it properly and force myself to watch the whole thing in one go. It really was very funny. Tons of references to Nick Cage's cinematic history. Pedro Pascal, I thought matched him, and and this is. This is saying something. Nick Cage was over the top in so many scenes and really well, overacting. Like he's not normally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Pedro Pascal just goes for it. He steals scenes, which is in, which is amazing. The the nouveau shamanic acting ability, the, which I still every time he mentioned it, I was creasing up. The references to Paddington Two, the LSD trip, the self deprecating humor. All great fun, but then the film sort of drifts a bit. There's the there's that it, it, the storyline for a screenplay for an action flick, etc., running through the whole thing. There is so much to enjoy. Fans of the man are royally entertained, even though some of it doesn't work. I I guess it doesn't matter. Nick Cage is very funny. The last Nick Cage we film we reviewed was Willy's Wonderland, which was mentioned by Darren, and I I, I must admit I seem to remember that I. Thoroughly enjoyed it for some reason. It's bonkers and stupid, but it was great fun and hilarious in many places. And it's the, is that the point though? Do we expect too much? The film is fun, and I'd probably have enjoyed it more, as I say, as in the cinema. It isn't overly ambitious. Um, it just relies on Cage and Pascal's charisma to work, and both of them have it in spades. There, there should be screens available to play this kind of film for for more, and there should be more of these sort of films made, I think. Nick Cage playing Nick Cage in a film about Nick Cage, fleshing out a screenplay for a film starring Nick Cage, and all for fans of Nick Cage. Actually, I, I probably will see this one again, and I'll probably enjoy it more. Excellent. An open mind. How rare. Uh, <laughs> Graham. Oh, God, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Nick Cage playing Nick Cage in a film about Nick Cage. Uh, what does meta mean? Yeah, okay. I, I, really enjoy, I really enjoyed this film a lot. I laughed the whole way through, despite the fact that I kept hoping that Nicolas Cage would go full mental Nicolas Cage <laughs> at one stage. But it had such a good setup, and I really loved the first act 
the actor who just can't stop acting, the failed father and husband, the scenes with his daughter's birthday party. I thought that was all excellent. I also loved his younger imaginary Nick Cage as well. It's a crazy one. That was that was Nick King Cage. <laughs> There's a beep coming up there, Graham. And smooching Nick Cage. <laughs> the film dragged a bit for me in the second act, apart from the Paddington 2 joke, which just had me in fits. And I, and I thought the, the Cage-Pascal bonding seemed a little forced because they were already enjoying being with one another and they had so many great lines and, and they had a great dynamic. But in, but in places they were acting in yes. part of the film that they were creating oh, that was... was going to be a part of a screenplay and it yeah. just they were overacting those bits. Just, yeah, sorry, and I sorry. Thought, carry on. I thought the third act where they, Cage and Pascal, team up to rescue the girls and then it goes completely silly and very fun. Uh, so many movie references in this and callbacks. I love the the man with the golden guns and things, stupid stuff like that. There was loads of crazy stuff. And I like the classic Land Rover Defender turning into a Hummer because it was the big <laughs> Hollywood thing. I thought that was a nice touch. And I also liked the last song, which was Keep Me In Your Heart from Warren Zevon. That's two Warren Zevon songs this week uh, we've recorded shows about with Werewolves of London in Phil's pick for the top Martin Scorsese film with The Colour of Money. Yeah, so it really, really enjoyable. And the more I thought about it afterwards, the more I giggled to myself. Yes, but I, think, I, oh, think, yeah, I think that's quite I agree clever. with that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I thought it was a great movie, great movie. Could have been a bit more crazy, but you can't have everything. Okay. And with that final dig from Graham there for a film he said he really liked, but stuck in could have been net. even crazier. That's all I'm saying. You know. It feels this month like I'm Santa Claus amongst a collection of Scrooges. This film is a sheer joy for film fans from start to finish. Now I'm not like the others, a great Nick Cage fan. He's all right bit over the top for my liking you but liked him in willie's wonderland and, it was and all right. you saw him in pig didn't you see him in pig i haven't seen pig it was yet, great no. in pig okay an understanding of who nick cage is and his vast output does help but i think the movie goes far beyond that it's horrible when you've got to watch other films to know about the film that you're watching exactly isn't it? that who would ever do that i mean it forces no, you to clearly, <laughs> no 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 right? <laughs> I know what you lot are up to, and it doesn't work <laughs> like that. This is for somebody who's in love with cinema, and I'll I'll take that up. What you're talking about there, Phil, is you have to know all these films to get an understanding of the plot. Get that <laughs> plot, right? <laughs> Whereas this works on a number of levels. Whereas you know the situation. You've got a film you really love, and you try to get somebody you really care for to watch it, and yet you become crestfallen when they don't respond in that way. The Dr. Caligari thing, as I've said. It's the other side where you watch something you're not expecting to be good and then fall in love with it in this film. That's the Paddington 2 story. So this whole level of, yes, it's Nick Cage. So if you know about the films of Nick Cage, it works. But if you're a film lover, generally a film lover, then I think this film really works for you. My only complaint, if I had one, would be the dodgy CGI Wild at Heart Nick Cage. It shows the low budget of the film, but I think that's a minor league moan. Uh, and as an added bonus for me and my always like to dig about uh, politics, there's an American foreign policy reference and how inept it is. So I thought, oh, oh, that was good. And so this is a film that says much about life, 
cinema and how we all deal with legacy. So it's a total joy from start to finish and definitely one of the better films of the year so far. So there we go. You can catch The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent on Video On Demand. Definitely, definitely worth catching up with. After that wonderful uh, array of movies to choose from, what has everyone selected for their film of the month? Neil? Elvis. I mean, The <laughs> Unbearable Weight of Massive da- massive Talent. Graham? Uh, Doctor Strange. Jeff? Uh, it was a close call between Father Stew, but it was The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I'm going to go with uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Phil? I mean, Neil's nicked my joke because I was going to say Top Gun Maverick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Doctor Strange. Cool. So Marvel wins out, Jeff. Yeah, Marvel won. The good guys don't always win. Look at what Putin's doing at the moment. Um, He's not winning. So, gentlemen, I can finally announce that's a wrap and another at the flicks is in the can. Just a heads up, next month's review show will be something a little different. It will be our version of those summer special comics you used to buy as kids. Only ours will be on films. Each one of us has picked a pre-1970s film they have never seen, and we'll report back on what we thought. Pre-1970? Is this so that Jeff can't sneak in, thank God it's Friday? Thank, thank Mark Wahlberg for I mean, God for that. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone else, thank you for listening and goodbye and listen out for the next edition of Darren's Dash coming soon. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night.